we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. This episode, I'm talking to eagle expert Simon Cherryman. Simon has spent most of his life studying Australia's largest raptor, the iconic wedge-tailed eagle. Persecuted until the 1970s, wedge-tailed eagles once had a bounty on their carcasses, and some of the resentment of these birds has persisted today. Simon uses his intimate knowledge of our wedges to change people's perceptions and raise awareness about their conservation. Simon, can you tell me where your love of wedge-tailed eagles sort of began? That's a great question. Uh, I think there's a couple of moments. One that's very uh, poignant is when I was about seven years old, I was on a family holiday down south and uh, there's a, a range, the Parongarup range, that my mum and dad and I used to go to on holidays. And my dad had climbed up this enormous granite uh, dome, which is called Marmabup Rock. Um, the, the white fellow name is Devil's Slide. And dad had spent some time up there and I was a bit small, so I kind of hung out with mum near the base. And dad came down with this incredibly uh, captivating story about spending time up there and laying on the rock because he, he got cold with the wind and this pair of eagles came and and soared and, and came so close to him and I can just really remember my dad being so enthusiastic about portraying his experience up on this amazing mountain. Um, so I, I distinctly remember that but then there were always moments on family holidays and at home where, where I can remember looking up and seeing wedge-tailed eagles um, you know above the house or and, and just on the thermals and being a kid that loved birds and being sort of obsessed with and having all these flying dreams, they were sort of the, the, the most amazing creatures to, to be right up in the air soaring so effortlessly. And then how did you kind of get into the conservation side of things as well? Uh, well, that is probably uh, down to my path through university. So I was always into, into birds through high school. I didn't actually know what I was going to try and do for a career and, and was very much in that mindset of, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up and pick a job? So I didn't actually know that you could really work in conservation. Uh, but I, I did environmental science at university, which sort of just happened. Um, I selected a couple of other things and then I just got offered that course. So then spending time at, at uni studying science and, and conservation, uh, I suppose that shaped my path uh, you know, very strongly for, from then. And you established Insight Ornithology back in 2008. Can you sort of tell me about how that came about? Yeah, so I started working uh, just before I left uni. I started working 
with some environmental consultants, so I needed to get my own ABN to work for them as a subcontractor. Uh, I had no no ambitions whatsoever of starting a business, and I still don't really feel like I have a business because it's really just me. Um, but yeah, that's where where it began, and then I suppose I just started branching out. So rather than just subcontracting to other people, I realised. I could do other things to do with birds, um, as well as bird surveys. I was, you know, starting to build nesting boxes for friends and, and neighbours because I was doing that from a young age as a kid. But you know, boxes for for parrots, not for obviously for eagles. Um, and and concurrently with that, I then went back to university part time and was uh, doing my honours on wedge-tailed eagle diet. And at the same time, I was doing dietary studies. There was a lot of research that was happening with the Department of uh, Environment and Conservation at the time uh, to do with eagles and their potential impacts on a lot of the marsupials that they were trying to trying to grow populations of and translocate. And the pesky wedgies were, you know, sometimes <laughs> implicated in, in carrying off little marsupials with the transmitter. So they wanted to know more about eagles and their diet concurrently. Uh, so I started sort of working um, a little bit on and off while I was studying as well, um, and and it just kind of grew from there. Really, I still don't really feel like I, as I said, I run a business or even have a, a job sometimes uh, there. But it's uh, just it's very busy. <laughs> and I have to say, your images of wedge-tailed eagles are just amazing, like truly amazing. Um, I mean, what are some of the precautions you have to take in getting so up close with wedge-tailed eagles, and like? What, yeah, just what are some of the precautions that you take? Well, um, there's a, I suppose off the, the first thing to say is, you know, because I climb nests, that it's often, especially these days in, in a bird photography community, um, sometimes met with, uh, not with enthusiasm because, you know, there's a thing of are you disturbing them? Um, so I have spent a lot of time finding eagles and looking at their nests from a distance and it's much more recently that I've, uh, with licenses to do this research um, by putting you know bands on birds uh, that I'm actually getting right close to them uh, but so the precautions you know are first and foremost I think uh, make sure that you know you follow the right steps from a research protocol that you, you have the right licenses and stuff um, but then that aside it's obviously um, dangerous being up in the trees or it can be uh, some of the nests that are 30 or 40 meters up in the canopy um, I've I'm, I'm always got ropes on, you know, harnesses and safety gear. But then the other comment that I get frequently is about the eagles and their, you know, their defence of the nest. And they are contrary to what you would, you would believe. Most people think that, you know, the bigger the bird, the more fierce they might be in protecting their young. But, but wedgies are not like that at all. Most long-lived raptors are scared of people. Uh, there's a few exceptions, but they... They watch you from a distance. They know that if their nest fails, if you're a, a predator um, and you, you cause a nesting failure, they will likely get the chance to breed again. So it sounds a bit sort of terrible from, from a human perspective, <laughs> but it's, it's it not worth it, it is. It's not worth risking your life to attack that crazy human in the tree and possibly cause an injury that could, cause your, uh, could cost your life. Um, it's far better off to wait and, and have another nesting event in the future. So, so the biggest precaution really then is, is handling nestlings which have talons like their parents except um, they haven't really worn them down on, on kill, by killing anything or landing on too many branches. So 
if you catch one of, when you catch one of the eaglets, if it's quite a mature bird, um, you have to be really focused on making sure you, you grab hold of their legs um, above the feet and then securing the bird very uh, firmly so that it doesn't latch onto you. Uh, and if it does, it, it hurts, I can tell you. <laughs> I do have to say your pictures of eaglets are the cutest thing I've ever seen. If, if you haven't seen a picture of a wedge-tailed eagle eag or wedge-tailed eaglet, you have to go and look it up because it's literally like a, an actual snowball, like a little little fluff ball. It's so, so adorable and totally not what you expect a wedge-tailed eagle to look like as a, as a baby. Yeah, that, they are go absolutely gorgeous. I'm completely with you, Ange. They, they have this this cuteness about them which is part of the fascination for me and no matter how many I've seen sometimes you see them when they're in their first week of life um, and then that but that transformation that they make from from those first days of their life when they are literally a tiny vulnerable white fluff ball that would fit into your hand like a little chicken um, to think that that same little being becomes this you know in just three months it becomes a thing that stands nearly a meter tall in front of you with talons that it could put through your hand Crazy. Um, it's it's incredible and because you do spend so much time around these birds and you get this kind of you have this sort of intimate insight into them what can you tell us about them um oh there's there's so many things to, to learn I, i'm every time i answer my own questions and, and broader research questions I'm, I'm i'm finding more questions that are things i don't know but uh i think the, the thing to say from it from an intimate perspective is that they are highly intelligent creatures most birds are and, and most birds are you know there's those old sayings like bird brain and things that imply that birds are not particularly um, smart but but these you know wedge tails are highly intelligent creatures they're long-lived they're incredibly intimate so their partnerships they are monogamous and they form these long-lasting pairs if something happens to one of the other one of the pairs which it, it sometimes does um the, the, the mate will find a new a new partner, and often that's a young a younger bird that's looking for a, a breeding territory. Um, and when you so when you watch birds over there over years and years, and you get to know individuals, and then you see ones pass on and other ones come in, um, you realise how much time it takes, just like people, to to establish a relationship, become a good working partnership, um, understand each other, and how important that sort of that bond is that you know eagles work together to to reproduce successfully and, and rear their young and and one thing I'm absolutely fascinated by is when you you study a long um, established pair I always say that they're like it's like one brain is operating two two birds um, for example a nest I was observing um, years ago now had a female incubating eggs on it um, and through the scope from a distance I could see her sitting and for whatever reason she needed to leave the nest um, so she she just suddenly got up and, and flew um, and immediately within about 20 seconds you know there was this swooping figure and the male swooped in and landed and, and sat on her eggs uh, and he just knew you know he's there watching ready to, to back up his partner and the moment he's needed um, he's, he's in there you know to help out mm. um, so that yeah, that, I suppose that's the overall thing I would say, that, that they're, they're probably more amazing they're than, than just that set of wings. They're smart and very good partners. 
Smart, very good partners, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Lots of things we can learn from. Um, and one of your biggest projects has been tracking um, wedge child eagles. Can you tell me about that and why that is so important? Yeah, so I was very inspired uh, by research conducted in the 60s and 70s um, and that was the first time that people really started to look at eagle movements. But the only available technology was really to put a, a band, a metal bracelet on young birds and hope that they turned up somewhere and we could calculate the distance that they'd move between those two points. But um, other than that research, there was this big question about what young birds do and where they go in between the time when they leave their parents' territory and they become independent and when they settle in their own territory. And so that's this big sort of void. Um, you know, they'd go out into the ether and, and who knows where, where they went. So I was very passionate about trying to answer some of those questions. Um, and obviously starting my, my research, my PhD, in a time when technology has moved forward enormously allows you know, us now to put these little transmitting devices on them and literally follow their story. Uh, so there were two components to the tracking research. Um, one which I haven't really continued on with as much um, is to do with the adults and their, their home range size and what they do in their day-to-day -day life. Um, so my initial pilot study, uh, pardon the pun, was to put transmitters on a couple of adults just to see how that, that worked. Um, and so I've got some data from that. But then I've spent most time after that in 2013 putting transmitters on 22 juvenile birds uh, when they're large enough uh, to, to have a backpack harness put on when they're still in the nest. And what we then get is, is the first you know, weeks and months of their movements after they leave the nest, but when they're still with mum and dad. And then most raptors commence a part of their life which we call juvenile dispersal. And so that's when they're independent. It's like, you know, people in Australia go, right, I'm 21, I'm going to go on a Kentucky tour to Europe <laughs> or something. And so they, they, they just go out there into the, the wilderness. Um, but what's been remarkable about studying that is, is the huge distances they travel in such an incredibly short space of time. So we've had birds born and raised in the Perth Hills here where I grew up. Um, you know, the, the day that they're independent, they haven't moved more than five or six kilometres from their nest. And the day they're independent, they could be 60 kilometres away. And then the next day they can do another 200 and they can move huge wow, distances out to, you know, to Alice Springs, to Darwin, to the, to the Kimberley. Um, it's, it's amazing to, to see them travelling like that. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. I want to I want to talk about some of the misconceptions around wedge-tailed eagles and some of the impacts of those misconceptions. Um, they are a really big bird, and um, as you well know, there are there are some of those really dangerous misconceptions about them with regard to, you know, what they eat and um, how they act mm. around humans and stuff like that. I'm hoping that you can maybe go through that and some of the misconceptions that you've come across in your career. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the sort of hardest one in, in terms of uh, flying and stuff is they obviously interact with a whole range of other aircraft. Humans are increasingly invading their airspace with, with drones, with you know gliders and light aircraft. 
and and most raptors are very territorial in their airspace because their their territory in the air represents what they have on the ground to keep them alive. Um, so there's there are records of them attacking um, various aircraft. Uh, I think the misconception often, and this is uh, the same with with regard to livestock, is that you know the eagle has some intent to do something that is trying to mess up what people are trying to do, and they have no you know way to predict anything. They can only really respond to what they're seeing at the time. So an eagle is attacking an aircraft usually because um, it feels threatened and it feels like it's something's invading its its livelihood, um, which we can you know we can all relate to. Um, but with regard to the the livestock industry, you know wedgies were persecuted for a century or more. Uh, hundreds of thousands of them were were shot, and government departments paid bounties on on hundreds of thousands of birds all over the country. And and I suppose the misconception from my perspective is that you know eagles do eat animals. They eat mammals especially because if you catch a mammal, you get a lot more bang for your buck, a lot of meat um, to feed yourself over days. Um, and you know that so, the, but the misconception is that they have an impact on, on the sheep industry. Um, people might lose lambs, they might lose half-grown sheep um, to a number of birds that, that might be attacking them. Um, but the cases where those things are happening are far worse where the landscape has been stripped of all of its other biodiversity. Uh, so, you know, again, the eagles aren't trying to send anyone broke or, or attack the lambs over and above anything else or attack other livestock, chickens or, or whatever animals that people have ec placed economic value on. Um, they're just hunting to live like everything else and their habitat has been enormously changed by the actions of Europeans in the last two centuries or more. Um, so what we've seen is this huge wave of biodiversity lost across the Australian continent um, it's been replaced with, you know, with sheep, with cows, with with um, other livestock, and from the eagle's perspective, if if their ecosystem is so simplified that there's nothing much to eat, um, they're going to just respond to trying to prey on what they can. Um, so we're hearing more. David Attenborough is is publicising now more than ever that that biodiversity, this assortment of plants and animals in the ecosystems that we live in, is is an integral part of our planet and. The more we nurture in agricultural areas the biodiversity of those places by trying to replant vegetation and encourage native animals to coexist with, with our land practices, um, the more balance there will be in terms of, of predators and their, their potential impacts. And there is that thing about um, um, how, you know, our farmers might come out and see, you know, a wedge cull eagle feeding on a dead sheep or something like that, but it, it's quite unlikely that the eagle itself killed the sheep. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be. Um, so it, it depends on the circumstances, mm. really. Often the eagle is blamed, you know, for killing something that it hasn't. They absolutely are the vultures of Australia, so they will scavenge on carcasses. The research that was done extensively in the 60s and 70s showed that, that wedgies were responsible for, for an absolutely negligible amount of lamb deaths. Um, but, you know, it is plausible that they can hunt, hunt mammals because that's what they've evolved doing. Um, but I suppose what I find frustrating from a conservation perspective is it's sort of like a very childish debate. You know, he did that and that was mine and he shouldn't have, she shouldn't have taken that off of me. You know, humans are far more evolved and are capable of, of resolving these issues with more 
more um, sensible, mature approaches, I think. And, and so to, to blame the eagles for doing something that they've evolved doing naturally, when really it's a result of the way humans have treated country, um, th there are other s solutions. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's tough. We're, we're all trying to do the, the best we can with, you know, becoming better custodians of the landscape. But the attitude, which is very still rife across Australia, that, you know, we own all these parts of country and, and we should be controlling the ecosystems. Um, as soon as you change your mindset and you start thinking from the other perspective, like from the, the land's perspective, um, that, you know, it's sick and it's lost all these parts, it's just like having a, a mate, you know, saying, um, oh, I've, you know, pinched your car for the afternoon and you're annoyed because he didn't ask permission. But then later you hear his perspective and he might say, oh, well, look, you know, my mum was sick and I didn't have time and my phone was broken and, and all of these things happened, so I just had to do it. I'm really sorry. And immediately, as soon as you understand the other side of the story, you start having more ability to, to be sympathetic. Mm, I remember actually interviewing you um, in 2018 about um, when a rural Victorian farmer had killed something like 600 wedge-tailed eagles um, through poisoning because uh, for livestock reasons or livestock protection, I think something, something like that. Um, and you had this really iconic quote, which I always go back to, and it's basically just, we simply can't clear all of the land, kill the kangaroos and rabbits and expect these majestic eagles, eagles to just eat dust. Um, I'm wondering, how did you feel when you saw that news story come out and how do people like you um, work to change those perceptions or are those perceptions by farmers changing? Yeah, I, I feel that they are changing, Ange. I, I feel like there's, there's definitely a gradual change and certainly that story that came out of Victoria um, you know, there was a huge amount of media coverage about that issue, rightly so. Um, and listening into all the, the public calls and stuff, I definitely felt that there was um, probably a growing number of people that were sympathetic to the Eagles. People of our generation that, you know, that, that often, um, you know, weren't necessarily exposed to how amazing Eagles are. More, more younger people have travelled around Australia and seen them on the roads, feeding on carrion and seen them soaring. Um, so I'm positive about that. I think the, the attitude slowly changed. I think what's clear in, in the way humanity works is when you grow up in a certain environment with certain circumstances and your family and your elders are influencing your opinions and your values, um, it's, it's, it's logical then that we might get generations of, of partialists with no, uh, no sympathy to the land um, growing up still having those, those older attitudes that, you know, eagles are trying to kill our sheep, they're trying to stop what we're doing to make a business and to grow food for people and therefore we should shoot them. Um, those attitudes will still be there, but the more they're diluted with, with the, the mindset that I've just talked about and one of sympathy and, and understanding that, that the landscape, um, it's your, your body on, on the outside. It's made of all these different parts and you can't smash your body and take all the components out of it and expect it to keep working without nurturing all of the components together and the, the landscape's biodiversity is exactly like that so as you say you can't you can't strip all of these things off of the landscape that actually feed eagles and give them alternative sources of prey and then then still expect them to be there feeding on you know stuff other than <laughs> than the, the animals we place economic value on um, so that's really what it comes down to. Any any wildlife, human wildlife conflict, it comes down to ecologists trying to communicate to the public 
uh, the way that these ecosystems work and, and the value and the roles that these animals play. And I suppose the way I've tried to approach that is, um, and sometimes by the scientific community, I've been actually really criticised because I haven't put all my energy into publishing a, a journal paper that maybe no one will ever read. I've put my, my life and my energy into into this kind of thing where I'm I'm doing public talks. I've done a little bit of research. I haven't written it up, but I've got so much enthusiasm that I want to spread to the community about the importance of, of wildlife and things like eagles. Um, and that's what science is gradually spreading towards doing, getting the scientists that are doing the research, taking it straight to the public and saying, hey, look at this stuff. It's amazing. We need to look after it. Um, you then have the potential to change attitudes uh, from, from, from then on. Tell me a little bit about the responsibility you feel having such an intimate knowledge of wedge-tailed eagles. Yeah, so I think um, it's so important to, to communicate the, the information and the understanding you have of any creature, really. Um, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily choose to research eagles from, from day dot. I just grew up with more of a fascination with them as I was growing older. But what I say now, which is really important to do with their position in the in the ecosystems of Australia is that they are an apex predator and they are what some people don't like that term but an umbrella species so by communicating my my passion and my information about how important eagles are and how amazing they are um, lots of different things fit under the umbrella of a, of a wedge-tailed eagle's wingspan if you like of their ecosystem so if you set out to, to look at eagles and to study them and to conserve them um, you immediately have to conserve big parts of habitat that they need, um, understand all the different components like their nest trees and the range of animals that they feed on. And, um, and so it, it's sort of a different way of thinking about the landscape. They're, a, they're one species, but they're a window into an ecosystem that's composed of many. And, and so I suppose I feel that responsibility to, to, to say how important the environment is um, but you can't do endless talks about every single component of an ecosystem, especially here in, in Southwest WA where there's you know, thousands of different species. But by talking just about one species, um, I feel like it, it helps communicate the message of conservation for, for many species. Last question. With, we, I previously mentioned um, you know, that situation with um, the Victorian farmer uh, poisoning all those wedge-tailed mm. eagles. I'm wondering, I mean, what impacts do events like that have on wedge-tailed eagle populations? And, I mean, in terms of a conservation status, like where are wedge-tailed eagles at and should we be concerned? Yeah, so uh, it, it, it was an absolutely devastating story, you know, hundreds of birds that were poisoned in a very short space of time. Um, unfortunately, though, um, it, it wasn't unusual in the context of the last century and um, and hundreds or thousands of eagles have actually been um, exterminated over, over many years prior to that. Um, so in Western Australia, for about 40 years from 1938, there was an average of about 2,000 bounties paid on eagles annually. Oh my God. Um, so those, those numbers, so, so tens of thousands of, of birds that were removed, you think how can it possibly be sustainable for, from the eagles' population? But the research and the ongoing sort of data collection that we've done you know, BirdLife and, and CSIRO has done over the last century or so has really shown that um, the eagle population is is enormous in in Western in, in Australia. Um, there are there are probably thousands or, or maybe tens of thousands of, of 
birds out there that are breeding that are reproducing annually. And so essentially those big slaughter events that humans have been responsible for are cropping the eagle population. They're taking out a lot of these juvenile birds, um, these birds in their first year and their second year. Um, those birds actually aren't going to mature for another five or six years um, to, to become contributors to the breeding population themselves. And um, we're really killing big crops that are being attracted to parts of the landscape where there's, there's maybe a lot of food. But as long as a few survive, as long as one or two eagles survive in 20 years to replace their parents, um, then we have population stability. And so Australia's size um, really, I think, is, has been the wedge-tailed eagle's friend despite all of this persecution. Other large raptors, <coughs> other large eagles, you know, the golden eagle in, 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 Britain, in England, um, the white-tailed seagull in Scotland, um, they've been persecuted in similar ways, but because those places are so small, um, it only takes a few decades. Um, you're killing all the juveniles. Um, soon the adults start dying of, of old age and there's no one to replace them. Um, Australia's always had this vastness to it, these amazing desert areas that you know humans or, or Western humans anyway have, have viewed as inhospitable, but wedgies can go out there and find refuge and, and survive um, and... And that's why they're still common and abundant today, thankfully. Mm. I think it's interesting that you brought up those um, other raptor species because I remember seeing images of bald eagles just um, like rummaging in rubbish because like their food sources have basically been so badly depleted and land clearing and stuff like that in the US. Um, and it's really sad seeing such proud birds in those situations. And I think that's why those images of wedge-tailed eagles also um, hit a lot of people hard because, yeah, they're just very proud animals, like very large, proud animals. They absolutely are. They're, they're incredible. Um, and, you know, to think of of putting, you know, clearly people that put baits out and poison carcasses to, to want, kill with wanton destruction majestic creatures like that have never had the exposure to their life cycle and, and to you know, they're amazing components, being being amazing components of the landscape. That It's just a coldness that, you know, the parts of me that deeply care about these birds and other parts of the landscape, um, they were never built into the Lego set of those individual humans that can do that. And that's that's a shame. That's why, you know, we've got to involve younger generations more in in research and in, in first-hand contact. And um, and that's why, you know, the all the images I've tried and taken and spread um, my aim is to, to try and encourage that attitude to, to spread more and, and get people to understand the, the landscape. And, you know, we can't just kill stuff. Like I've said, if you, um, you know, if you don't tear off your skin so you don't get sunburnt, um, because, you know, your skin is an important organ in your body. So you, you can't strip something, you can't tear all the trees off the landscape so that you don't have a bushfire um, because they are performing an important role. And, as, and if we think about eagles and if we think about other parts of the landscape like that um, then we're doing what the first Australians did you know have done for tens of thousands of years country comes first and and we've got to fit into it um, so that's that's where we've got to be thinking well thank you so much for talking wedges with me today Simon I really appreciate it thank you and no problems at all I really appreciate the opportunity it's been great to chat that's it for today's episode of talking Australia if you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic.
go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer for our listeners. So don't wait and go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia.